as we kind of enter into the new year, January 10th, kind of crazy, I always feel like that the year is pretty much already over. I'm, that's just kind of how my, I'm like, man, I've already failed at my New Year's resolutions. That's kind of how I feel, but you, you may feel like that if you're weird like me, but maybe not. But we're kind of beginning the new year, and sometimes as the year begins, we can have feelings or thoughts about, um, is, is this as good as it gets, or is there something better? And sometimes you may feel that, um, just kind of existentially, you don't even necessarily have the words to articulate it, uh, but sometimes you actually think that, and if you're someone that plans out and makes goals and sets kind of benchmarks of what you want to hit for the year, then really that's what goals and all that is, is is there something better than where I am now? Can I get to something different, or is this just as good as it gets? Is this, is, is my life, my relationships, my family, my work, my walk with God, all of it, is this as good as it gets or is there something better? We can kind of start to feel like that many times in our lives, but especially at the beginning of the year. And maybe some of you are hopeful. You know, you may be hopeful. You may go, man, 2016, that's my year. This is the year of whatever it is. This is the year of my work life being awesome, or this is the year of my marriage being awesome, or this is the year where we're going to have kids, or this is the year where my kids are finally going to listen to me, or this is the year when I'm going to get married, or this is the year when I'm, whatever it is, and we can kind of be hopeful. Maybe some of you are like that, or sometimes you can get discouraged as the year comes, because maybe for you, you've done that before, and then it's kind of like, man, I've, I don't know. I mean, is this as good as it gets? Is there something better? I don't know. I mean, I've tried. I've tried to set goals. I've tried to make it happen, and it's probably just going to be like this. Honestly, for me, I kind of vacillate between the two. Every, every year, I kind of plan out my year and set goals and go, man, this is what I want to learn, and here's how I want to grow, and I can get excited and be like, okay, God, this is what I hope happens, and here's what I hope to do, and then I can look back at what I wrote in 2015 and go, oh, man. So I kind of vacillate between the two. You may be hopeful. Maybe you are excited, maybe you're discouraged, but we all kind of, I think, have this feeling towards the beginning of the year of, okay, is there something better than this? And it doesn't mean that what is current is bad. That's not what I'm saying, but it just, is there something better? Maybe you feel like this is good, but okay, what, is there something better I can get to? And if, and if there is, how do I get there? Like if there is something better, if I can go deeper in my relationships, and if I can go deeper with God, and if I can be more loving or more kind or, or grow in wisdom or, or whatever it is that, that you hope, what, what does it take to actually get there if there is something better? And maybe it's a new job, or maybe you got to read more, or maybe you got to uh, get some new friends, or maybe go to church, or maybe, I mean, you can think, okay, if there is something better, what does it actually take to get there? What do I need to do to actually get there? And that's what we're talking about, really. The, the book that we're looking at uh, is written by a man named John, and John was one of Jesus' closest friends. He's the man that, I've said this before, if you've been here, um, kind of leading up to this, John was the man that when Jesus died on the cross, he looked at John and said, I want you to take care of my mom. And that, I mean, that's got to be a trusted friend, right? Unless you don't like your mom, then you're just like, hey, whoever, go for it. But I mean, everybody knows you only ask somebody very special to take care of your mama, right? I mean, that's, that's, a, very, that's a very important job. Take care of my dog, take care of my friend. That could be a lot of people, but hey, take care of my mama? I mean, that's, you gotta, that's got to be someone special, right? And so John is the one that Jesus said, I want you to take care of my mom. And John writes this book that we're going to be spending the next uh, few months looking at. John writes this book really for people like us that are beginning new, that are thinking about, is there something better? Is this as good as it gets? And here's what John says. John says, there is something better. John says, there are depths of relationship that you haven't experienced yet that we can. That there is new ways to love that we haven't felt yet. That there are new ways to connect with people and new ways to connect with God. That there is a deeper fullness of life. What, so that longing or that feeling that we have, is there something better? John says there is. John says, I'm writing this book because I want you to know about it. And John also says, but here's the thing, a lot of people miss it. A lot of people scratch the surface of it. They get kind of close to it. They get just a, a, a glimmer of it and then walk away. And we're going to see that all throughout the book that, that we'll look at over the next several weeks. 
that John says there is depths of life that you haven't experienced yet, that we haven't experienced yet, that we can have. That what we hope for, is there something better? John says there is. And yet, if we're not careful, most people miss it. That most people miss it. And John is going to tell us that he wants us to look at Jesus, his friend Jesus. And that's why he writes the book. He says that in order to experience what we hope for, in order to reach that something better, what John is going to say is, I want you to come and see Jesus. That's what John's going to say. That's what we're going to look at in this opening chapter, that John says, if you want to experience that, I want you to come and see Jesus. And here's what's interesting. You know Jesus? Jesus is the most influential person in the history of the world. And this is not, I'm not, I mean, I am speaking as a Christian. I can't shut that off and on. But um, I'm not saying that from a Christian standpoint. I'm saying that just from a world history standpoint. Jesus is the most influential person in the history of the world. There's more songs that have been written about him than anybody else. There's more, there's more books that have been written about him than anybody else. More painting that's been painted about him than anybody else. More, more literature, more art, more music. History itself is divided, A.D. and B.C., of when Jesus came. I mean, think about how influential you have to be for all of history to be divided based on your birthday. I mean, I know some of us think we're special, right? Think, oh, my birthday is really important. But not all of history changes on your birthday or my birthday. Jesus is the most influential person that's ever lived, not even just in Christianity. You know, what's interesting is that pretty much all the major religions in some way claim Jesus or talk about Jesus. I mean, obviously Christianity does. Islam says Jesus was a great prophet. Even a lot of Judaism will say that Jesus was a great Jewish teacher, and Christians have kind of messed him up, but he was a great Jewish teacher. Modern-day Hinduism and Buddhism will say Jesus was a very enlightened person, and he was a great teacher. The, the whole, I mean, every, I mean, Democrats love Jesus. Republicans love Jesus. I one time was handed flyers from a vegetarian that said Jesus was a vegetarian. You need to be a vegetarian like Jesus. I mean, everybody wants to claim Jesus. From, I mean, just, you can't, look, here's what's interesting, too. You can't get away from Jesus. You can't, I mean, not like he's chasing you down, but you can't get away from, you know, he's like (laughs) this creepy guy chasing you. That's not what I'm saying. But, I mean, you can, Jesus is so influential that any given day, people are talking about Jesus. This, This is just some news clippings, even from this week, okay? I didn't dig for this. This is just, this is just available, so this is just the front page of Yahoo a couple days ago. It said, a mansion built for Jesus found in the Bronx. So in 1928, a New York religious order built the home, which can now be rented for $35,000 a month. That's cheap in New York, so that's okay. Uh, that's, that's Yahoo. This is Nigeria, so all over the world. Mass- massive statue of Jesus arises um, embattled, in embattled Nigeria. So these people are bringing this, building the, this giant statue of Jesus in uh, Africa, and it was unveiled on New Year's. Obama, Obama cites Jesus in push for gun control. Greater love hath no man than this. He's talking about the book that we're actually looking at. So if you're a fan of Obama, you're like, yeah, see, look, Obama launched Jesus. And if you're not a fan of Obama, man who claimed he was Jesus planned to kidnap Obama's family dog. Because what would Jesus do, right? He would steal Obama's dog. Or there's this one. My baby looks like Jesus. Argentinian woman who dreamed of the Messiah while pregnant claims she can see him on her ultrasound. So I don't, can you, does that look like Jesus to any of you? It, it, look, let me zoom in here. Look at that. That's, can you see that? No, I'm just kidding. That's not really what it was, but that was just a joke. Okay. So, um, some of you are like, in my gosh, it is Jesus. That that was just, that's totally different. Okay. That's the last summer. Okay. So I mean, you can't get away from Jesus. You can't get away from Jesus. Jesus is everywhere. I mean, it's, it's amazing that you cannot get away from Jesus, no matter what. This is why uh, Yale historian Yaroslav Pelikan said this, regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. If it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull up out of the history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? Nothing or very little. This is Yale historian saying, look, if you trace history and you were somehow to have this big giant magnet that could suck out every influence of Jesus, what would be left? I mean, what would be left? 
Jesus is the most influential person in the history of the world. He never wrote a book. He didn't have an heir. He never wrote a song. He didn't, look, he only lived less than many of us. He only lived to 33 years old. He lived to 33, and yet history hinges on him. So is that an accident? Is that just, maybe it's just an accident. Look, and it doesn't matter what you believe about Jesus. How did that happen? Is that just an accident? Just somehow all the factors lined up around when he was born and then it just kind of happened? Maybe, but maybe not. And if it's not an accident, if it's not an accident that history has revolved around this person, if it's not an accident that he has been the most influential person in the world, what would happen? What would happen if we were to come to him and see him? If you're not a Christian, what would happen if, if, if this wasn't an accident that all history has been influenced by Jesus? If that's not an accident, what would happen if you started to get closer to him? And if you've been a Christian for a while, what would happen if, if he really is who he said he is? If he really is who John says he is? If he really is the person that has influenced history? What would happen, do you think, to get close to that kind of a person? Some of you maybe have had a really influential person in your life. Someone that maybe was really loving or really wise or really something. And you wanted to just be close to them because you knew if your life could get close to their life, something might happen. And what would happen if Jesus really is who John says he is? What kind of effect do you think that would have on us? And John says, look, you think... John says, look, we, we think, man, is there something better than this? Is this as good as it gets? And John says, there's depths. There's depths of life that we haven't experienced yet. There's fullness that we can experience. And John says, the way is to come and see Jesus. Come and see Jesus. To come and get closer to this person who has revolutionized history. To come and see him. And so in this opening chapter that we're going to look at, John's going to tell us why we should go to Jesus, what that requires, and then what happens if we do. Okay, we're going to read the whole chapter, and it's a lot, okay? Just going to warn you, it's a lot. We're going to read the whole thing. It's like 50-something verses, and so I just want to give you the whole thing, though, to to get an overview picture of how John introduces his book to us about his friend, Jesus. So here's what he says. So if you've got a Bible, you can open it up. Uh, you can have the one in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, you can just type in John 1 into your phone um, if, uh, if you don't know where John is, and that's okay. So here's what he says. And I'm going to explain some of this, but we're not going to go verse by verse by verse and explain every little thing. I'm going to give you the, the big things that John wants us to see in here. Okay, so here's what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is his language for this is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So he's kind of talking before Jesus is even born, saying before history even happened, the word Jesus was with God and was God. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is a little confusing. This is not John, the guy writing it. Okay? So there's a guy named John that it's going to talk about, but it's not John, the guy writing it. There's a lot of Johns, just like there is today. So there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, about Jesus. He came to talk, to show people what Jesus was, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world talking about Jesus, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, the Jewish people, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He's saying it's a spiritual birth. And the word became flesh. So Jesus, God, became human and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory 
glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him. He talked about him and he cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So John is this guy that was uh, around during this time that was telling everybody, Hey, there's the Messiah is going to come. A guy's going to come. He's going to bring salvation. He's going to be the king. So he was, he's saying, this is what John's job was. This was he who, of whom I said, he who comes after me, so Jesus would come after him, ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Talking about Jesus. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites, those are the religious leaders, from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So they're asking John because he's out there preaching in the desert and he's kind of a crazy dude and he's out there preaching and saying all this stuff. The Jews go, okay, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ, the Messiah, the one that Israel, the Jewish people had been waiting for. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So he says, look, I'm not the guy that you're, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the king, I'm not the one that everyone's waiting for. I'm just a voice saying he's coming. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he, was, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, so he's saying he heard from God, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Okay, so this is, he, he sees Jesus, he had heard from God that when you see the Holy Spirit descend on this person and stay there, that's how you'll know that this is the Messiah. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, so John has his crew, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So they're his followers, and then he says, hey, that's the Lamb of God, and they go, okay, see ya, and they go follow Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. So they stay the night. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. We, he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. A different John. A lot of Johns, okay? You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So you see, Jesus is kind of gathering these people. Some people are finding Jesus. Jesus is finding some people. Some of their friends are finding other friends. Now, Philip was from the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Jesus. He's saying, look, we found the Messiah, the king, the one we've been waiting for. And Nathanael said to him, and I love this, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So he's kind of got this stereotype. It'd be like if someone said, The Messiah, he's here from Greeley. And we'd go, "Mm, I don't know about that. Right? Sorry, no offense if you're from Greeley. But that's what we would say. That's what Nathaniel said. Can anything come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, behold, 
an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So John writes this opening chapter to us, people like us, that go, is there something better? Is this as good as it gets? And in the opening chapter, what John says is, come and see. Just like, just like these people, he says, come and see Jesus. That longing that we have, is this as good as it gets, or is there something better? John says, come and see Jesus. And he shows us why we should come to Jesus, what it requires, and what happens. So first thing is this, why should we come to him? Why should we come to Jesus? As we think, we look at our lives, is there something better than this? Can it get better? Why should we look at Jesus for that? Because here's the truth, there's a lot of different teachers out there. And whether you think about that in the terms of religions, there's a lot of different religions that say, hey, here's a way that life could be better. Or even just think about this, not even religions, unless that's kind of what you're into is exploring different religions and that's fine. But not even just religions. Think about, I mean, just how, what is it in your life that you hope and want to be better? And then think about all the different stuff out there about that. All the different blogs that you could read, all the different friends that say, oh, you should try this. Have you tried? I mean, anytime you open your mouth, don't open your mouth. Anytime you open your mouth and start saying, I think I'm going to work on this. I mean, everybody's got a suggestion, right? Oh, you should read this. Oh, you should look at this. Oh, you should go here. Oh, you should do. Oh, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, okay, I'm done. Never mind. I've got a new goal. I'm not telling anybody because it gets overwhelming, right? I mean, anytime we start to think about our lives and how could they be better or what could be better, about them, whether that's our marriage or our friendships or our uh, internal emotional health or self-awareness or anything, all of a sudden what happens is it's overwhelming because there's so much teaching out there, so much information out there that that we could take. And so sometimes it actually makes us go, man, I don't even know. And here's what John says, why should we come to Jesus? He says he's the true light. And that light word is about knowledge, it's about understanding that he was the true light that has come into the world. That there's a lot of lights out there. There's a lot of teaching out there. There's a lot of teachers out there. There's a lot of wisdom out there. And I'm not saying it's all bad, and I'm not saying that. But John says this, Jesus is the true light. If you want understanding, if you want to know, if you want illumination, Jesus is not just somebody saying, let me show you the light. He's saying, I am the light. John says, when we are looking at our lives and we're thinking about, could it be better? And there's all this information to sort through and there's all this stuff. He says, Jesus says, I am the true light. And here's what's interesting about Jesus, of why we should come to him and what it means that he's the true light. You know, there's a lot of teachers that have come and have said, let me show you the way to God. A lot of teachers, a lot of, I mean, all religions are someone saying, let me show you the way to God or to enlightenment. Let me show you the way. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't come mainly as a teacher pointing the way to God. Jesus came and said, I am God. Now that's arrogant if it's not true, right? That's why no one else has really claimed it unless they're just totally crazy. It's, you know, John even says this. He says, no one has seen God. I, I, people often say it's really arrogant to think that we could know the mind of God or that we could hear from God or that, or that someone could claim that they're God. And, and John agrees. John says, no one has ever seen God. But Jesus has come and revealed him. So it's an audacious claim. I, I mean, I, I agree. It is. But what if it's true? And John says we should come to Jesus because there's something different about him. As we think about how could life be better if this isn't as good as it gets, what, how, what could take me to it being better? And John says Jesus isn't just a light. He's not just one source of understanding, not just one place of wisdom to go to. He is the true light because he comes and says he is God. Now here's what this means. Here's what this means. If you're not a Christian, my encouragement to you would be this. Explore Jesus. Because 
no one intelligent, and I think most people would go, yeah, Jesus is a respected person, intelligent. No one intelligent has ever claimed this. No one intelligent has ever shown up and said, I am the light and I'm God. They all, they all have the humility to say, I'm showing the way to God. So start maybe with the one that doesn't seem like a total nut job and yet is claiming that he is God. And if you're a Christian, here's what it means. As you look at your life and you go, man, is there something better? How much of your pursuit of that is, so let me get to know Jesus? Because often, even for Christians, it's not. It's, is there something better? So I'm going to talk to this person, I'm going to look at this, and I'm going to investigate this, and I'm going to read this thing. But what about Jesus? And John says, we should come to him because he claimed he was God. And John says, he was the true light which enlightens everyone. I think it's just something we should at least consider. So what does it require of me? Because even if it's true, that doesn't mean that we all want to do it. I know that last year, 2015, um, I thought, okay, what, what could make this year better? And one of the things I thought was, okay, I need to get more healthy, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, look into CrossFit. And so, um, and as you can tell, you know, I haven't been doing that. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to look into CrossFit. And I sent an email because I want to know, what does it require of me? Even if that is the place that I should go to, to see that life could be better, a little bit more healthy, a little bit more fit, a little bit more sexy. If that's the place, that was a joke. You guys are just like, yeah, yeah, you would be. Okay. Um, what, is, what does it require of me? What does it require of me? I want to know. So I sent an email and, you know, find out the price, find out the times, find out, you know, when's the gym open, all that stuff, and, and didn't do anything with it until a few months. And I sent another email. So that's about as I sent two emails. That was my CrossFit involvement last year. So hopefully, maybe this year it'll go up. To, there's a big you know, gap between uh, squats and emails. But that's all I did because I wanted to know, what does it require of me? And the truth is this. I still think it would be beneficial. I still think when I look at my life and go, what would make it better? I still think, okay, I think that might be part of the answer. But when I look at what does it require of me, I go, mm, I don't want to do it. And so the first thing is, why should we come to Jesus if we're thinking about what would it take for things to be better? And John says, he says he's the true light. He says he's God. Maybe start there. But what, is it, what does it require of me? Because that's what keeps away some of us. Even if you're a Christian and been a Christian for a long time and you go, okay, but what does it require of me to, look, to go and see Jesus as the way for things to get better? And here's what's different about Jesus. You know what John says? He doesn't say, here's what it requires. Everybody needs to get their act together and be really good. You know, Jesus, Jesus does not say, I want all the good people and all the bad people need to stay away from me. I want all the successful people and all the unsuccessful people need to stay away from me. He doesn't say, I want all the people with good family backgrounds, all the emotionally healthy people. I want all those ones and everybody else, you work on your stuff you take 2016 to work on stuff, and then 2017, that can be the year that you get serious about God and religion. It's not what Jesus says. John, when he breaks it down, here's what John says. He says there's two categories of people. He says there's those that receive Jesus and those that don't receive Jesus. That's how he breaks it down. He doesn't say there's the good people and there's the bad people. He says, you know what it takes you know what it takes to come and see Jesus? You just got to receive him. Because it's a relational thing. He doesn't, he doesn't say, man, there's good people and bad people. John breaks it down and he says, there's two kinds of people. There's those that received him when he came and those that didn't receive him when he came. That there's, and all throughout the book, that's what it's going to be. That John's going to show us, man, there's two different approaches to Jesus. Some people receive him and some people don't receive him. And this is not... Some, most of the people that don't receive Jesus, you know who they are? They're the religious people. They're the people that are very moral, that have their lives together. See, John doesn't break characters down into the good people and the bad people, which should give some of us hope, because you look at your life and go, I don't think I'm that good. That's okay. What does it require? It requires, will you receive Jesus? 
as a person. But maybe for some of us that's discouraging because you've lived your life going, okay, I'm a good person, so God will accept me. God will love me. God will care for me. And John says, no, there's a lot of people in this book like that. But they didn't receive Jesus. See, what does it require of us to come to Jesus if, if he's the one that can actually give us a fullness in life that we haven't yet experienced? John says, here's what it requires. Receive him. Receive him. Think about this, okay? This redefines what sin is. Because most of the time when we think about sin, we think of bad things that we do. But John says, you know what the hardest sin is? It's not receiving Jesus. And this makes sense if you think about a relationship. This is how relationships work. So probably your mom is kind of like my mom, because I feel like all moms are kind of like the same, but not totally. So... Maybe not, but, but let's just go with it, okay? So I know this. If, I, if, if my mom finds out, this is not true. I'm just being hypothetical. It's about the things I'm going to say. If my mom finds out I'm a habitual liar, she's going to go, Caleb. But she's still going to love me. She's still going to want to talk with me. She's still going to come visit me. If my mom finds out that I, I rob banks, she's going to probably say, you, are, are you being careful? <laughs> okay. <laughs> If my mom finds out I kill somebody, she's going to go, okay, let me call your uncles. We'll figure out a way to bury the body, okay? Again, hypothetical, okay? If the police are listening to this when it's being recorded, um, hypothetical. But you know what will make my mom mad? You know what will hurt my mom? It's not so much if I'm a bad person, but if I don't call my mom, if I reject her as a person, if I don't receive her as a person, that's going to break her heart right? The times that my mom and I have had friction have not been about bad things I've done. They've been when I have been neglectful, and, and you're going to be like, what a horrible person, but okay, that's fine. Judge me. Go ahead. But when I have like gone a month or two months, haven't called her. That's what hurts my mom. One year I forgot to call her on her birthday. It's tomorrow. Everyone call my mom for her birthday, okay? Devastating for her. That's what hurts my mom. Not me being a bad person, but me not receiving her as a person. Because we know this. In relationships, that's what the biggest sin is. So if God is not just uh, some abstract concept, if Christianity isn't just some abstract concept of good things you should do and bad things you shouldn't do, but it's a person, which is what John says, then you know what that means? It means the biggest sin is not receiving a person. And it means that what it requires of us to come to Jesus is to receive him as a person. But, but let me say this. That doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's easy. If, so Jesus, it's not about good people and bad people. It's about will you receive him? That's how John breaks the categories down. Will you receive him? But that doesn't mean it's easy. Because when you receive a person into your life, that changes it, right? I mean, think, you know, the example I thought about this is if you receive a baby into your life, this is just a book, uh, over, 100, over 10 million copies sold. What to expect the first year. And I know you can't read this. You can just see the cute baby. But um, if you're a parent, you know this, especially when you had your first baby, if you've had one. When you receive a person into your life, you don't have to be good to have a kid, right? You don't have to be good to have a kid, but to receive a person into your life changes everything. Some of you had to get a new house, you got to get a new room, you got to get new clothes, ladies, you got to get for at least nine months of it, you got to get new, um, you got to get new shows on Netflix, you got to start watching Elmo, you got to get new, um, you got to get new, I mean, it just changes everything. New allocation of your budget, new hobbies, new activities, new friends sometimes. When you receive a person, so John says, look, it's about receiving Jesus. That's what it takes. But that doesn't mean it's easy. Because you receive a little person like this, it changes your life. What happens if you receive God? This little short person will change your entire life. Receiving them. 
Or if you get married, same thing, right? You get married, you get married and you receive a person into your life, man, it changes it, right? You got to start wearing different clothes. You got to smell different. You got to, I mean, you got to change what you do with your time. You got to sleep next to someone different, which is a big problem for me. I mean, nothing, nothing against my wife, but I'm a crazy sleeper, really sporadic. Man, that was a big thing to receive another person. And for her, she's got to sleep next to me. That's, you know, stinky and hairy and, you know, that's just not good. Okay. It's it, receiving another person into your life. That changes things, right? Changes it. To receive another person in your life changes your identity. If you receive a woman into your life, you become a husband. You receive a little baby into your life, you become a mother or father. It changes things. So John says, look, you wonder, man, is, is there something better? Is this as good as it gets? He says, we should go to Jesus. He claimed to be the true light. He claimed to be God. What does it require? He says it requires humility. It doesn't require being a good person. It doesn't require being a diligent person. But what it does require is the humility to say, I'm receiving Jesus. I'm taking him into my life. I'm taking him in, knowing that there's no condition to do that. But once you take him in, he does start to change things, just as any person that you receive into your life does, right? Because it's a relationship. It's not just a set of rules. But that means it changes you, changes you. John says that to those that did receive him, he gives the right to become a child of God. That's an amazing thing. I love how he says that. Anyone that receives him has the right to be a child of God. You know how arrogant we would think it would feel if you went to someone and said, I have the right to be a child of God. And yet John says, if you receive Jesus, you have the right to be a child of God because of Jesus, because you've received him and he's brought you into the family. So here's what's sad about this for me. Uh, And I get to deal with this a lot just as a pastor. What's sad about this to me is that a lot of people miss out. A lot of people miss out that are looking into Jesus. They miss out because what happens is they go, okay, I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested in receiving Jesus. But don't really quite do it. Kind of stay at arm's distance. It would be like if you got married but just told your spouse, let's say you're, you know, you're a lady and you just say, okay, husband, you just kind of stay in this corner and I'll come get you when I, want, when I want to cuddle or when I want you to do the dishes or when I want a massage. But you just kind of stay there. And that can kind of sound nice, like, okay, yeah, I, I'm receiving a little bit of husband, but really I'm kind of keeping them where I want them to be. That can kind of sound nice, but you miss out. Miss out, right? I mean, no one would go, oh, that's a beautiful relationship. Your husband, he's kept in a little box in there. That's nice. No one would say that's beautiful. We would go, you're missing out. Or same thing with a baby. If you go, yeah, I kind of, babies are cute. Like, I want to hold it. And then, and then I want to put it away and just keep it in there. I want to drop it off and let someone else totally deal with it. And then I'll, I'll have it for like an hour a day when it's in it, on its best behavior. Then when it needs to be wiped and cleaned and all that stuff, then someone else can do that. You'd miss out though, right? But sometimes I think that's what happens with Jesus, that we half-heartedly take him in, and then we go, well, it didn't work. I tried it. We half-heartedly receive him. We kind of let him come into one room of the house. We half-heartedly receive him, but then go, well, I thought life was going to be better, and we're disappointed. I think we miss out. And to me, that's one of the saddest things that I see happen. People kind of flirt with Jesus versus actually receiving him. They kind of keep him in one little room. They kind of keep him in a box. And they kind of say, okay, you stay there, but then go, well, this Jesus thing didn't really work out. And so here's my, my I don't know, my, my appeal to you, I guess, is if you're exploring Jesus, man, explore. Explore. John says, come and see. And that's great. Take, take another step, whatever that might be for you. And this might have been a huge step for you. And I'm, man, I'm so glad that you did this. Maybe it's coming to a community group or coming to the pastor's happy hour or talking with a friend that's a Christian or reading, reading John. But just what's that next step to go, okay, I'm going to explore. But if you're a Christian, here's my, my appeal to you. 
Don't try to keep Jesus in one room and then go, it didn't work. Like, receive him. Let him take over. And what does that all mean? I mean, I, I, can't, you know, I can't spell everything out of what that means, but I'm just saying, you, you, maybe you even know. You might know. You might know what it means. But what I'm saying is, John says what it requires is receive him. Receive him. Let him into the house. Just as when you take another person into your life, it starts to change things. Let him do it. Let him do it. Last thing is this. What, ha- what would change? What would change? What happens if we do this? Because it can kind of be scary to talk about, right? What would change? What would happen? We, we kind of start to think about what, what is next? What could be better about my life? Is there something better? Is this as good as it gets? John says, look at Jesus. John says we should look at him. He's the true light. He claimed to be God. What it requires is receiving him, bringing him in. Doesn't matter where you are, good, bad, receive him. But what would it change? What would happen? And John shows us a couple things. One is this. We'd see Jesus greater than we see him now. We'd see him greater than we see him now. You know, there's something that you can know about Jesus from the outside. I mean, there's a lot of people that are not Christians, and I don't know everyone in this room or where you're at and, and what you consider yourself to be or where you are in your spiritual journey. But there's a lot you can know about Jesus from the outside, right? The same way we can about a celebrity. We can know a lot about a celebrity from the outside. We can kind of read a magazine or watch their movies, or we kind of know something about them from the outside. Or a house. You can, you can know a house from the outside. You can look in and, and see it. And there's a lot you can know about Jesus from the outside. You can read some of his teaching. You can, you can you know, uh, see some things that people say about him. You can know some stuff from the outside. But there's a big difference of knowing Jesus from the outside and knowing him from the inside. And this is what happens when Jesus meets the guy that we looked at, Nathaniel. And Nathaniel says, uh, how do you know me? Because Jesus looks at him and says, you're a true Israelite. Jesus is looking inside of his heart and sees something in him. And he goes, how do you, you don't know me? That's basically what he says. And then Jesus goes, well, I saw you at the fig tree. And that was like this bar, the fig tree. Um, no, not really. But it was, um, it, he just must have been sitting under a fig tree. And Jesus supernaturally was able somehow to see him under the fig tree. And obviously, I mean, it was shocking to Nathaniel that Jesus saw him under the fig tree. And Jesus goes, you think that's cool? Like, you think me telling you that I saw you under a fig tree is amazing? He goes, man, you don't even know. You don't even, man, you're going to follow me. Come and see. You're going to see greater things. You're just seeing the outside right now, Nathaniel. You're just seeing, you're just seeing some of my power that I was able to see inside your soul. You're just seeing some of it when I said I saw you with a fig tree. You're just seeing something from the outside. But you come follow me. And you know what he says? He says that you will, and he, he's, he's referencing a story in the Old Testament about a man named Jacob that had a dream. And he had a dream where he saw this ladder connecting heaven and earth and angels going up and down. And, he, and, he, and Jesus says to Nathaniel, he says, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see angels dis- ascending and descending through me. And what he's saying is, I am the one that connects heaven to earth. So you follow me, you come and hang around me, you are going to see the connection point between heaven and earth. You're going to see something amazing about me that you could never see from the outside. See, there's some things we can see about Jesus from the outside. There's some things we can see about Jesus from the outside, but you know what would change if we start to come and see him and follow him and go towards him and get closer to this person that all history has revolved around? You know what would happen? He, he tells Nathaniel, you're going to see amazing things. You will see the connection point between heaven and earth. You will see more power and glory than you could ever imagine. There's a big difference between standing on the outside of a house and looking in, between going inside that house and sitting around by the fire and laying down on the couch and using the kitchen, and having friends over in the house, and you, and you can watch all that and go, that's kind of a cool house, but once you get inside that house, 
It's a way different experience. And Jesus says, you know what would change? You would see me in ways that are amazing. You would see me as the ladder between heaven and earth. You would see me as what John said, that he's the lamb of God, which means he's the one that takes away the sins of the world. They used to use lambs as a sacrifice and put their, they would um, metaphorically, and yet God saw it as such, put their sins on this lamb and sacrifice the lamb to pay for the penalty of sin, death. And John says, Jesus is the lamb of God. You'd see him as the, in, in, this, in this chapter, and I wrote these down, John calls Jesus the word, the light, the Christ, the Lamb of God, Rabbi, Messiah, Son of God, King of Israel, Son of Man. He uses 10 different titles about Jesus in just this chapter. You know what's amazing? From the outside, we can go, okay, that's interesting. But from the inside, to experience Jesus as the King, to experience him as the Lamb that takes away our sin, to experience him as the Christ. And John says, you know what would change? You'll see greater things about Jesus than you could ever just see from the outside. That's my hope for many of you, that maybe you know some things about Jesus from the outside, from a distance, but John says, if you would come and see, you would experience those things, not just from the outside looking inside a living room, but actually being inside of it, but not just that. We'd see greater things about Jesus, but we'd also discover some things about ourselves. You know, one of the ultimate things in America that we believe is one of the highest values and I'm going to talk about this in several weeks. One of the ultimate, more, but one of the, one of the ultimate things is finding yourself, right? Finding yourself. That's one of the ultimate things of, man, I want to discover who I am and find myself. And Taylor Swift's music video uh, that was just out because I watch all those, but at the end of it, you know, it talks about how the relationship ended or something, but she found herself, right? That's one of the ultimate things is finding yourself. But here's the paradox, And here's what these guys discovered. They didn't find themselves by trying to find themselves. They found themselves by finding Jesus. You know what happens here? They meet Jesus, and here's what will happen to us. Here's what would change in us. They find Jesus, and Jesus gives them a new identity. And this happens to several of them as you read, but here, most clearly, it happens in that they become disciples. They were following one person. They follow now Jesus. And it happens when he looks at Peter and he says, you're the son of John. I know about you. I I know about you. And I'm going to give you a new identity. Your name's no longer Simon. Your name's Peter, which means rock. And Peter didn't know what that all would mean at that point. But he gives him a new identity. He doesn't just give him new rules to follow and new principles. He says, you know what's going to happen? You're going to discover more fully who you even are. You want to find yourself? It doesn't happen by focusing on finding yourself. You want to discover who you are? It doesn't mainly happen by trying to discover who you are. It happens as you discover who he is. Because he changes our identity from the inside out. And he says, you'll see greater things. He tells Nathaniel, you're going to see greater things. You're going to be a part of amazing things. This is just the beginning of their journey. And John writes this, you know, you got to think, why is John writing this book? He's not just putting this down here, he's putting it down to draw us in and say, the same is true of us. You find him, you find yourself, and you discover more fully who you even are. You know, you guys seen The Hobbit, if not, that's your first thing to do tonight after this. Um, But Frodo is having a conversation with Gandalf, not Frodo, sorry. Bilbo. Bilbo's having a conversation with Gandalf. And uh, he's, he's calling Gandalf saying, hey, come on this adventure. Come on this adventure with me. And Bilbo's scared and he goes, will I be safe? Can you promise I'll be safe? And Gandalf says, no. You won't be safe. And Bilbo says, can you promise I'll return? No. Can't promise you'll return. But if you do, you won't be the same. And this is what Jesus said. He says, come follow me. Come and see what life with me is like. Come and see. Well, can you promise that this will be okay and this won't change? And that, No, but I can promise this. You will be different. That you'll discover greater things about me and you'll discover greater things about you. So, we wonder, is there something better than this? Is this as good as it gets? Is there something better than this? 
And as you're thinking about your year, is there something better than this? Is this as good as it gets? Is this all there is? What if John's right? What if this person that history has revolved around really is this amazing person? What would happen to us, you think? What would happen to get close to someone like that? Man, I, I personally, honestly, and I'm a pastor and I've been a Christian for a long time, but man, I'm excited even just to read this book more and again and again and again and go, man, what would happen to get closer to someone like that that has changed the history of the world? What would happen? And John says, come and see. Come and see. Come and see who you would become. Come and see who he is more fully. And you know what's amazing? We can come to him because he first came to us. That's what John tells us. And that Jesus came to this world. Jesus can call to you and I and say, come and see. He can call to you and I, come and see what it would be like. Because he first came to us. And that's what we remember when we take communion. We remember that he came to this earth. John says that the, the true light came into the darkness. He came into the darkness. He came into our darkness. He comes. And when we remember with communion that he had his blood shed and he had his body broken because he's the true lamb. He is the lamb of the world that takes away our sins through his sacrifice. Look at that. Jesus comes, comes to us. He doesn't from a distance say, come and see. He says, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. And then you can come and see what life is like with me. And so when we take communion, we remember that God came to us. He didn't shun us. That he didn't see our dirt and our shame and our sin and our guilt and go, deal with it and then come to me. But he said, I'm coming to you. That's what we remember. So if you're a Christian, when you take communion, I want you to remember that Jesus has come to you. He's come to you and he calls you to come to him. And if you're not a Christian, don't take communion because we don't want it to just be some empty thing for you. We want it to be something that, that actually means what Jesus said it means. And as we sing songs, you know, don't worry about singing the songs if, if they're weird to you, but, but songs are part of what continue to teach what we believe, and so just read the words. But Jesus is calling, come and see. Come and see. If you're a Christian, come and see. Come and see what it's like. If you're not a Christian, keep exploring. Come and see, because he's come to us first. Let's pray. God, thank you that you've come to us. Thank you that... Um, you invite us to come to you. I'm, I'm just even shocked by that, God. I mean, there's a lot of really important people in the world and people that maybe we'd like to spend time with and people that maybe we think it'd be cool if they would invite us to something and, and they don't, but you do. And you say, come follow me. Come and see what life is like with me. Come and receive me. I thank you that you even invite us to that. And you know us. You know what we're like. You know what I'm like. And yet you still say, come and see. Come receive me. And I thank you for that, Lord. God, I pray for anyone in this room that doesn't know you, that they would take another step to come and see. And I pray for everyone in here that does know you and has taken steps, God, that you would draw us even to places of fullness that we haven't been. That, that you would help us to take steps closer to you and with you. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.